All right, good morning, everyone. So for, um, for, I don't know, Danny, what, 30 years or so, you were a jeweler. Yeah. One of his many hats that he's worn. And uh, if you've ever looked at a diamond, you know, people look at it from a lot of different angles. You look at the top and look straight down through it, and that might be one way to see the little imperfections and so forth. You can look at it from the side and look at it, you know, twirl it around. Um, and there's something different to see no matter what angle you're looking at it. I kind of feel that way with our passage today in Hebrews because um, we're going to look at it from a, a, a number of different angles. So there's information there that talks about um, angels. We've, we've been talking about angels off and on uh, as uh, the writer is... Um, uh, is, is saying how much greater uh, Jesus is than the angels. So we learned something about Jesus, but we also learned something about the angels. Um, we're going to look at it from what it says about Jesus, and then there's also some statements um, uh, about us. So we've got some shifting perspectives here, for sure. Um, and in, in my part of the introductory comments from a few weeks ago, I said that as we go through Hebrews, it was going to be really important to pay attention to um, who, who the audience was, who, who is being referred to. Um, in general, I think most people would agree that uh, if you, I don't know about most people, but the way I'm looking at this is from the standpoint of um, uh, a pastor, teacher, figure, um, having in mind a congregation primarily of Jews um, in, a, in a mix. Um, Jews who had become Christians, uh, Jews who had maybe heard enough of the gospel to um, maybe acknowledge it with their head but not with their heart, and then some who maybe were not at all convinced of the claims of Christ, but were still affiliated with that body. So kind of a mixed audience, not unlike you'd see uh, at any gathering at a church. Uh, that's that's kind of how I picture it, and I think it's a I think it's a fair way to picture it. But um, I said that as we go through this, it's important to to kind of think about. Uh, who's being referred to, and, and uh, there's some pronouns that um, we have to just make some assumptions about. So let's start with, um, uh, we're going to start with uh, uh, chapter 2, of course, and the first verse starts like this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So there's, what, one, two, three we's there. So we have to think of who's, who's the we being talked about here. But before we consider that, we have to think about what about this therefore? And you guys know the old cliche. When you see a therefore, you have to look at what is therefore. And the therefore, of course, is all of this uh, teaching that Dad went over last time about um, you know, which of the angels did he say, you're my son? Or um, uh, the worship and uh, all this about how much better Jesus and the angels. 
Verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The point being that if, if all of this teaching is going to be about Jesus, who is far superior than the angels, it really makes it even more important to pay attention to it because, as we saw in the earlier verses, now he's taught us the gospel through his son. Before it was the prophets and so forth, and now it's coming from his son. So he's saying that, therefore, we've got to pay attention to this. And many commentators have pointed out a little difference here between the, the writer of Hebrews and the writings, say, for example, of Paul. Paul was uh, commonly of the habit where he would start off his pastoral epistles and really just drive home doctrine. And then the latter few chapters would really start to apply that. Um, this is, you can see this pretty obvious in, in Ephesians, for example, the first three chapters. A lot of doctrine there. And then the last three, it's the application. The writer of Hebrews isn't like that. He's going, he's talking about, you know, how much, how much better Jesus is, how much better the gospel is. And then, like, again, just picture this pastor. It's like, y'all, I'm not just talking about this. This means something. You you gotta, you gotta hear what I'm saying. You gotta take this to heart. You gotta do something with this. It's like he launches halfway, or you know, maybe even a, a tenth of the way into a sermon, and he's already starting the invitation. That's what's happening here. That's kind of the. Uh, there's an appeal here. You know, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. You can just kind of hear the pleading there, and that's that's kind of the tone that I think uh, fits here. All right, so we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. All right, so, well, let me, I don't know, let's just keep going and we'll come back, see if the context helps us a little bit. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So what is this in verse 2, the message declared by angels that proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution? What is that message that the writer is referring to? Exactly. We're talking about the law, right? And it was pretty clear as we, you know, we kind of, uh, some people have said if by the time you get through Hebrews, you'll know a lot about Leviticus. There is a lot in the law. Here's the rule. Here's what happens if you break the rule. Here's the rule. Here's what happens when you break the rule. There wasn't a lot of plea bargaining, right? There weren't a lot of attorneys involved. There weren't, um, 
you know, monetary payments to uh, avoid jail time, uh, all of these in-between things that we muddy the water with, it was pretty clear. There was a message, and then there was just retribution, right? That a just retribution is important. It was fair. Why was it fair to be stoned if you blasphemed God? Because, because God by his nature is fair. And if he says that's a rule, then it's fair. And because God is so holy and you blaspheme him, then yes, you got stoned. I mean, it, this was fair. But because all that was reliable, in other words, he's not calling into question the truthfulness and the accuracy of the law but he's saying because that was reliable and and there's there are references I won't go into it but there's the references to how many angels were present when Moses received the law so we still have this little angel connection here this message declared by angels that's where that comes in if that was true how much more does this apply to us so we have to look at verse 3 how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation we have to look at that in context with verse 1 where it says we must pay closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it I think like any good pastor this is one of those passages that can apply to multiple sets of our congregation. We've, we've, I've kind of classified as three different sets. Um, people that know Jesus, people that know about Jesus, and people who are just learning about Jesus. This could apply to all three of those situations. So let's look at it from the perspective of the believer we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it so what would that mean for the believer how does a how would a believer neglect such a great salvation a word picture while you're thinking about that this lest we drift away a picture a boat right that literally has either by neglect or just not paying attention or from being untethered to an anchor or a dock is literally just drifting. Maybe not purposefully going any particular way but just just drifting. That's, that's the word picture there for that lest we drift away. So for the believer to drift away in the context of neglecting your salvation, what would that mean? Not worshiping with fellow believers, drifting away from church, maybe? So it could be a lot of kind of the practical sides of being a new born-again person, right? Um, in fact, later in Hebrews, we'll have this reference, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. So that may, that may well be part of what's there what was what was the gospel the law says I can't do it 
I can't do it no matter how, I mean one there's a, an, a book that a guy wrote and you know he was probably one of these mavericks and I don't think it got much play but it's called the gospel solution and he looks at all of the gospels and says the whole reason that Jesus came and, the, and if you read the gospels it was all about how <coughs> you can't do it this is why you need Jesus because you can't do it the gospels are the last days of the Mosaic law right all of the gospels are written except for those last few chapters all the all the things before then were under the full weight of the Mosaic law and they and they couldn't do it the whole Sermon on the Mount just was crushing here's here's what it means you know to to try to do it the through the law way and it's you just can't do it anyway so one way of neglecting such a great salvation is to say to that believer who's enjoyed grace to say now I've got to put myself back under the law now it's all about following rules again right and this is kind of part of the warning <coughs> When we studied Galatians, remember we talked about the Judaizers and how much pressure there was to go back to that way? For a Jew who had been following the law for so long, it, it, you can understand it would be a natural thing to want to slide into. So, if we look at it from the point of the believer, neglecting such a great salvation, maybe you just get untethered from Jesus. Maybe you forget that that's where your security comes from. He's where your security comes from. It's not from the daily things and maybe the people on the fringes in the synagogue who are wanting to pull you back toward their way of thinking. That could be one perspective. What about, what about the person on the fringes? The person maybe who has intellectually understood the claims of Christ but hasn't made that decision I think that especially fits here because he's got through just preaching his heart out how much better Jesus is and just looking at these people and saying how can you how can you how can you neglect this how can you not accept this just pleading you know this ah you know, not only are we attesting, but he goes on to add the veracity. Even God has borne witness to all of this. How else do you explain all these miracles? And we know that there were miracles galore in the early church. And, you know, some people would say those don't exist anymore. Um, I'm certainly not going to tell God he can't still do miracles. But the point is, how could the non-believer neglect such a great salvation? By just refusing it. Now, we're going to be hitting, as we'll probably talk about many times, 
some of these tough passages in Hebrews where we're going to get some warnings. In fact, there are five big warnings in Hebrews, and you might put a little W out to the side of this passage. This is warning number one. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? With that word retribution still ringing in our ears from the old way. Does this mean a believer can lose their salvation? Can a believer drift away far enough to, to substitute a different word to negate such a great salvation? I don't think that's what this is teaching here. But it is a warning to be serious. It is a warning to pay attention and to not drift away, to stay anchored to the gospel. Verse 5. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. By the way, do you guys get the feeling that Hebrews is a little hard to slog through? Are you with me on that? Because <laughs> it's, it's a little hard for me, too. Um, I have no... Um, Assumption that I did justice to those first four verses. Verse 5. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Just to read that, I'm not even sure I understood that the first time I read it. It has been testified somewhere, which is kind of a, it's, it's an interesting prelude. He's going to quote Psalms perfectly from the, the, the Greek Septuagint, from the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament. Um, so he knows exactly where this is coming from. <laughs> it's just um, commentators have said he wants to emphasize the fact that this is Scripture talking, right? That this is God talking. Anyway, it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. This is from uh, Psalm chapter 8. If you want, we can flip over there. Psalm 8 is not long. Um, it starts, it's, one of, it's a pretty familiar psalm. Um, for... For our generation, in no small part, probably uh, Sandy Patty uh, had the big song, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 8. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes. Verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So those verses there, verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 8, are the direct quotes. But it's good to look at the context. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. you put all things under his feet, sheep and oxen and beasts of the field, birds of the heavens and fish of the sea, and whatever pass along the paths of the sea. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So, the psalmist 
is doing what? He's looking at creation and praising God for that, right? And then what is he saying about man? He's saying how amazing it is, as great as you are, that you would even think about us and care for us and not only that, elevate us to the point where we can have dominion over things. Where's that concept? Genesis. Genesis 1. How often do we go back to Genesis and how often do we go back to Genesis 1? So many times. Uh, the con- context here is um, verse uh, 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over everything that creeps on the earth, and so forth. So, the psalmist is clearly talking about man. It's amazing, God. You created all this, and you've given us a part to play, to have dominion over it. The writer of Hebrews applies that with a little different angle. So now we have to consider, as the writer here is talking, who is the writer thinking about when he quotes this verse? Verse 6, it's been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Our pronouns, verse 8, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. In putting everything in subjection to him, could, if we align with the original intent of the psalmist, could be referring to mankind. He left nothing outside of his control, I think, is referring to God. Then it says, at present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. So if you go with this angle, it's true, right? We are not currently commanding our world in the same way that we were created to do. So in this verbiage, some people here see a reference to the millennium. So we just got through talking about the millennium and what's going to happen in the millennium. We will will 
assume some of these kingly roles. It'll be a different world. It'll be a different place. And there's references that in that world will be judging angels. So we've got God, current state, God, angels, humans. Verse 7, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. Those are the psalmist's original words, and originally was referring to humans. So we learned something about us from the psalmist. We learned that right now we're a little lower than the angels, but it says for a little while, so it means it's not going to always be that way. One day, and that one day, the millennium, will be above the angels. If you want a reference, you don't have to turn here. I'll see if I can get here real quick. Our friend Paul, when he's taking people to task for um, for not settling things on their own as they have disputes within the church, 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Don't you know that the saints will judge the world, and if the world is to be judged by you, are you competent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more? And so forth. So, some people, again, would see this little snippet to talk about where is our current status. Our current status is that we were created to have dominion over things. We're not there yet. There's a future state when we will be. Okay, so that's that. But then it's pretty clear in verse 9, he's very explicit that he's turning this and now it's going to apply it to Jesus. Verse 9, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Well, that's true too, right? He was higher than the angels, of course, but joined us in humanity big demotion on our part I mean uh, for our benefit on his part for our benefit so he was made a little lower than the angels namely Jesus but now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone What's this whole section talking about? You got to zoom back. It's all about how amazing this new covenant is. The rules are so different, and it's all in our favor. We can trust it because Jesus brought it. We can trust it because it's better than the angels. We can trust it because this is how we're going to achieve our glory with Jesus at some point in the future. It's so much better than this 
Jewish law way of life. It, that was just to prep people to receive Jesus. It was to highlight how amazing God is and, and how big the gap is. And, and it was a way that God could demonstrate his glory to, to just bestow the grace to us. So the big picture is a better message, better messengers, Jesus, evidence of the Holy Spirit, gifts, signs, and wonders. A better gospel, a better way to connect with God, a better future. It's all betterness. <laughs> That's a word. So you can understand why he just launches into this, uh, basically a salvation message in the middle of his teaching. Y'all, don't, don't pass up on this. Don't neglect this. You got you to gotta do something with this. You know? Okay, let's start just as I am. You know, I mean, you could almost, if they had the organ, I'm sure it would crank up about then. <coughs> we'll probably, we'll quit here, but just to read a few verses that I'll just read and, and we can pick up next week. For it was fitting that he for whom, for whom, and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the foundation, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For it was fitting for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. In his suffering, out of that came perfection. And it, it's going to continue. There's too much to go over. But I think if you keep, if you just keep in mind the way comparisons work. Comparisons tell you about both things. As we learn about Jesus, we're learning about angels. As we're learning about Jesus, we're learning about us. As we're learning about Jesus' future, we're learning about our future. As we learn about his suffering, we learn how much less suffering we have. Um, it's, it's all going to be about Jesus for a while, folks. So just keep that in mind. All right, we better quit. Father, we thank you for this teaching. Um, Lord, um, through your Holy Spirit, please fill in the gaps of all the things I've missed. Empower us to, um, to really anchor to you, to latch on to what our identity really needs to be in you. Help us to see ourselves the way that you see us and the way that we're going to be one day. And Father, we are just so grateful, like the psalmist, that you care for us so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.